What's up, guys? Welcome to TNT Sports Talk. Today is Thursday, July 11th. As always, we're presented by D's Home Cuts. I'm your host, Travis Kerchewski. You're in luck. Two single shows this week. Um, I know you guys love hearing me talk about sports, so we're going to catch you up with everything. We got a full second half MLB predictions. We're going playoffs, Cy Young, MVP, all of this stuff, a couple bold predictions as well. We got some off-season reviews. We're going to do the Vikings. We're going to do the Packers. Um, we got some stuff we got to talk about in the NBA. And all in all, we're going to just get you caught up, educated. We're going to go through the All-Star game with baseball. We got a little bit of talk on the ESPYs. Just a ton of stuff we got to talk about right now. We're also going to do top five NBA duos right now. Uh, last week I did, or last show actually, I named off some of the best NBA duos in the league, and now I'm going to give you my top five in order list and go through each one and explain why it's there. So let's start right off though with something that we're going to get a little serious for a moment. Something that I saw yesterday, I make the outline for this show, you know, whenever I have free time the day before, right? And I'll add stuff to it if something pops up, something crazy that I know I have to talk about. But I'll make the outline before um, the show the day before. And, uh, but then it, it's, it's something, something has to happen that's very big, very monumental for me to add it to the outline uh, between the time of me making it and the time recording. And, or something like this that just pisses me off more than anything. Yesterday, I was scrolling through my timeline on Twitter like a young college kid does when they have free time, you know, and I was bored just scrolling through. And a little DM, a little, you know, those little one messages popped up on my Twitter, my personal Twitter. And I opened it up, and it was from this group chat we have on Twitter where it's just a bunch of guys, all the guys we've had on the show before. And, uh, they, we send a bunch of funny tweets, sports tweets, whatever. And it was a video of Chauncey Billups. And everybody knows I love Carmelo Anthony in that um, chat. So whenever they have a chance to send me a tweet where it's either digging at Carmelo Anthony, making fun of him, whatever, they send it. And uh, it was a video of Chauncey Billups. I saw it, I listened to it the first time. Um, and I saw it multiple times on my uh uh, timeline throughout the day because a, di- a couple people sent it to me, tagged me in it, whatever. Let me tell you something. I, I'm just going to respond to this. I'm going to say something first. I'm going to explain what the video was. Um, I'm sure you've seen it, but if you haven't, you can go watch it. Search Chauncey Billups. Uh, I'm not going to retweet that on the TNT Twitter because we don't put that type of disrespect on our timeline on Twitter, on our personal on our Twitter, and neither, not even on my personal Twitter. But in this video, Chauncey Billups. Former teammate of Carmelo, I mean, arguments. He was with Carmelo towards the end of his career, but you could even say he's one of Carmelo's best teammates because Carmelo really hasn't played with anybody great, uh, especially during his prime, which he's still in his prime, but uh, in my opinion. But with with, with some fake NBA people, people who don't know basketball, would call his prime, Carmelo Anthony played with Chauncey Billups. He was there with him in Denver. He got traded with him to New York the first time around, and he played with him. I respect Chauncey Billups. I like Chauncey Billups. I, I liked him when he was in the NBA. I like what he's doing now. He's doing a lot of radio stuff. But this was just not a correct statement. Chauncey Billups said that they asked him, you know, why isn't Carmelo in the NBA anymore? And Chauncey Billups said that, you know, Carmelo has all the skills to play in the NBA. He he is worthy enough to play in the NBA, which he's correct. He's true. We all That's something we all know. But he said that um, the first thing he said was Carmelo 
cared too much about scoring 30. He said if he scored 20 to 22 points and they lost the and they won the game, Carmelo would be mad and Carmelo would be upset of himself. Which, I mean, I don't think that's something that we should hate on a guy for. If a guy wants to hit a certain level of points and because he's a dog and because he can score that and he holds himself to that high standard where if he doesn't score over 30, he thinks he had a bad game. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it's nice to win, but... And you want to win, that's the ultimate goal. But you can also win and be upset with yourself of your performance. Or Carmelo Anthony was upset with himself. He is somebody who prides himself on his scoring ability. Because his scoring ability helped to get him into the NBA and made him what he was. And made him all his money for his family and his career. Um, if he doesn't score a certain amount of points, you know, he gets mad on himself. He hates himself. He gets frustrated we saw that with the last game he played um where he shot one for 11 had like two or three points i can't remember there were reports coming out that it was the last game with the rockets where he just stared at the locker room wall i think it was versus the thunder and he just stared at the locker room wall for hours and nobody talked to him yeah they had to get him on the bus to get him back to houston because it was an away game and carmel anthony just stared at a wall and just you know didn't come out to say hi to his former teammates because he was just shocked at how bad he played. Because Carmelo holds himself to a higher standard. And I don't think we should have a problem with this. I mean, you don't see people come out and say, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, isn't in the NBA anymore because he cared too much about scoring a certain amount of points. Carmelo Anthony can hold himself to that high standard because that's a standard he should set for himself. And it's sort of a soft statement to say, you know, oh, well, if you played like shit and you won, you should at least be happy. And no, that's not how it should work. If Carmelo Anthony holds himself to a standard, and if he doesn't hit that standard, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, he still is going to be mad on himself. And that's something I think an alpha dog star player, you know, should have. You know, it's nice to win. Obviously, winning is the most important thing. Um, but if you don't play well, you can still be angry at yourself. I don't see a problem with that. Then, the second part of this 30-second clip, he said he thinks Carmelo's not in the NBA anymore. Because he hasn't mentally taken that step back where he's no longer a star, you know, alpha player that he's, you know, where he's at now. I think I've come to this conclusion. He is a bench role player, somebody who can just add to your team. He's not going to lead your team. He's just going to add to it with his experience and scoring off the bench. Um, he said Carmelo hasn't mentally taken that step back and that's why he's no longer in the NBA. But I don't, I think Chauncey Billups is completely, for some reason, his memory's going a little bit. I guess Chauncey Billups completely erased the last two years of Melo's career where he was with the Thunder. He had to play with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and he took that step back a little bit. It was a small step, but it was a step. He no longer was the superstar. He was the third guy, and he took that role. He still was a starter, but he still was that third guy, and there was multiple times where he didn't, multiple, multiple times, where he didn't score 30, but he was happy, and he played well on that team. And then you go to the Rockets, and I don't know how you don't mentally take that step back of being a star player. When he come, he's a, he came off the bench with the Rockets, he changed his entire game up for the Rockets to fit their system. Carmelo is a mid-range shooter who can shoot the three every now and then, but that's not his main attack. The Rockets made him switch to just a pure three shooter because that's the Rockets offense. It's just shoot threes as much as you can you know that's how the nba is going nowadays it's no longer um you know get the easy bucket get the two it's shoot the three no matter what just keep shooting the three keep shooting the three and carmelo changed his entire game up 
for the Rockets. He did everything. He came off the bench for them. And, yeah, you might say, well, he shouldn't have been taking as many shots as he did. Poor shot selection. He's still two, three years removed from an all-star player. He still believes himself as that ability. And I still think he has the ability to be somebody who can just knock down shots automatically. Just because Chauncey Billups thinks he hasn't taken that step back doesn't mean it's true. So that's just something that pissed me off yesterday. I saw it. Um, and it's one of those things I think people just... It's more disrespect on somebody like Carmel Anthony, who I would love and who I die for each and every single day. Chauncey Billups doesn't know what he's talking about. And yeah, it maybe it may it's a little biased, but I will love and I will support Carmelo to the end of his days. I still think he has a lot left in the tank. I'm still baffled by the fact he hasn't been signed yet, but I'm not worried. So we're still waiting. Um, maybe when the season starts, that's when we'll get a little bit worried. Maybe, you know, once we hit August, the worry button will come on the table. But I think any day now, Carmelo Anthony could be signed because he is a valuable player to any team. Um, but that's all I want to talk about that. That just pissed me off. Um, basketball wasn't even our first thing. So we're going to switch now to some baseball. But before that, um, the ESPYs were on last night. I did not watch it because I do not care about the ESPYs. Um, this... Yesterday, Wednesday, July 10th is the worst sports day of the year. There's no major sports on, no baseball. We get baseball back tonight, though, on Thursday, July 11th. But the ESPYs are usually played when you know between that, the day after the All-Star game for baseball. But I really don't care about the ESPYs. I think they're kind of stupid, so I didn't really watch it at all. So if you're looking for a full breakdown of the ESPYs, go listen to an ESPN podcast because I didn't watch one bit of it. Um, but we did watch the baseball all-star game. Let's switch now, transition a little bit to some baseball. We're going to lead off the show with baseball. Um, let's talk about the all-star game. So the American League won the all-star game 4-3. to three. Uh, Joey Gallo had a big home run. Michael Brantley had a couple nice hits, an RBI. Uh, but overall, as so much as we're you know sort of transitioning the baseball game into like a hitters sort of thing, the MLB is becoming more of a hitters league. Uh, the pitching was solid. I mean, the AL had 16 strikeouts. You go to Shane Bieber, who won the MVP, my boy Shane Bieber. Uh, he struck out all three batters he faced. Uh, I think multiple pitchers did that. Uh, struck out, you know, three guys in an inning. Uh, it's just crazy for Shane Bieber because he was, like, literally one of the last additions in. He should have been an original uh, person in the game. But he was one of the last people to be put in, and he ends up winning the MVP in a pretty sweet truck. Um but it's cool for Shane Bieber because if you know his story, I mean, he was like a walk-on in college. They would, they almost didn't give him a spot on the team. But I guess somebody got drafted and decided to go pro, so Shane Bieber got onto the team, and he was a 14th round pick or somewhere around there, late round. Um, started and had his career worked his way up to Double A, and for some reason he just figured it out and he just completely bursted through the farm system with the Indians. He was in double-A for like a month. Next thing you know, he's in triple-A. Next thing you know, he's making his first start. And he had a pretty good rookie year. And now he's having an amazing second year um, for Shane Bieber. So it's going to be cool to see how his career grows. Now with the All-Star game, you know, the MLB tries to, you know, make it better. They try to like, you know, make it better than an actual baseball game because more casual fans watch the All-Star game than, you know, Casual fans will watch, you know, a Tuesday game, Orioles, Rangers type of thing. So they try to dazzle it up, throw things in there. And they put something in there that I think 
we've been screaming for for the last couple of years, ever since Mookie Betts did it. And they put it in there, and that was the mic'd up players. They had a couple players mic'd up, you know, Freddie Freeman, uh, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger. And they mic'd him up, and it was the coolest thing. I don't know why the MLB is so afraid to just put mics on guys all the time. You know, you don't have to talk to them. Just to listen to them and how they talk would be pretty cool. Like the NFL does. The NFL, well, they don't do it anymore. You know, they got rid of the mic'd up show. But the NFL, you know, they throw mics on players, and people love listening to that type of stuff. And if you throw it on baseball players... It's going to, you know, grow the game because people are going to be able to see, you know, the ins and outs of baseball. Um, it's going to make players more personable, which I think people, the MLB is trying to do. I mean, you get to see, you know, Mike Trout, how he acts on the field, you know, not just in interviews, you know, scheduled, you know, uh, scripted interviews. You get to see what he can, what he's like on the field. You get to see the personalities of these players, how they interact with not only their teammates, but their, you know, uh, opponents, all of this stuff. It's just going to make people more personable. I didn't like miking up Freddie Freeman during his at-bat. I think that was a little distracting to him. Um, you know, you're not used to that type of thing. I think you should just mic people up in the field. Um, every now and then you got a dead spot. Maybe the announcers could talk to him. But it was cool. The Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich thing was really, really sweet. Uh, hearing them talk back and forth, you know, when they were going up for a ball, they were talking, you know, you heard them running around. That was really cool. And uh, I actually enjoyed that a lot. And I think everybody did. So I'm not really sure why the MLB is so afraid to make this sort of switch. I think they need to because it makes baseball better. And if you, you know, they're trying to make baseball better and they're trying to reach a younger audience and, you know, get that casual fan to tune in more, I think you could do that with, you know, the mic'd up type of thing. And I don't think it would be that big of a, you know, strain on the players or much of a switch it would just be pretty cool i mean you don't have to talk to them during the game or anything like that and you could like you know vet the mic'd up so they don't release information or anything like that or you know block out the swearing and stuff like that because you want to keep it clean if you're going to do like an episode or a show about it but um obviously i think we'd love to you know leave it how it is but i just don't think it could work that way but it was really cool and i enjoyed it and i think the mlb there is a market for this and i think they need to explore that a little bit more you know they need to stop trying to change the game and they need to make the game itself better and more personal and the mic'd up thing is a great start and i think that's where you should go and you should explore that that's just my two cents on the all-star game though um but you saw with freddie freeman he was going against justin verlander and justin verlander's been in the news lately by saying that he thinks the MLB has juiced the baseballs so there's more home runs. Um, Justin Verlander, he's an all-star, Cy Young, one of the best pitchers of all time. Uh, he has led up a career, I think, 29 home runs, career high so far through half the season. Uh, and it's not only him. The MLB is actually on pace right now for a record-breaking home run record You know, over the course of the season. Million, th- tons of guys are on pace for you know breaking their career high. Uh, the AAA, AAA baseball has actually started to use MLB baseballs, actual balls used in the MLB, and AAA is on pace for home run records. So obviously I think um, not only do I think the baseballs are probably something's different from them. I mean you've heard pitchers say multiple times that things are different uh, about baseballs each and every single season. Something's different, you know, whether it's the, the seams are raised too high or it's wound up tight. You know, it's, it's strange. But something's different about these baseballs because 
you know, there's obviously more home runs are being hit. And you could make a case that, yeah, maybe it's just how the game is being played today. You know, strikeouts aren't looked at as something, um, you know, as in, like they were in the old days. Like in the old days, if you struck out, you know, that was the most embarrassing thing. Now it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you strike out three, four times a game. It's sort of become normalized. You still get made fun of a little bit, but it's sort of become normalized. And because people are trying, hitters are trying to swing for the fences. They're not trying to get on base. I think we've sort of come away from that moneyball type of era where it's, you know, just get on base. Doesn't matter if it's a walker hit, just get on base. People are just trying to swing for the fences because home runs are cool, home runs are fun, home runs, you know, sell your jerseys. And people go to the MLB games not to see somebody hit a single. People go to games to see home runs. And, you know, solo home runs are actually, uh, are actually you know, on the rise this season. Uh, and which is crazy is that the home run value, I was looking at this stat earlier, the value of a home run has been pretty consistent over the last couple of years. It's, you know, the most valuable, you know, hit. Um, but it's actually the value of a home run has gone down by 0.1% which is actually pretty crazy. It's not like a big number, but it doesn't change much, the value of a home run. And, and by going down by even a, the smallest bit of a 0.1% uh, shows that most of these home runs are just solo shots, which it is. And because people don't care about getting on base anymore, they care about hitting home runs because home runs are fun. And, you know, I'd rather swing for the fences, people say, than, you know, worry about getting a walk or getting a single. Uh, you got guys like Joey Gallo, who you know, and Chris Davis, who they don't have high batting averages, but they're stars because they just hit home runs almost every single game. So that's just my two cents in it. While I think it's a good thing because I think people like watching home runs, and it doesn't matter that much uh, in terms of value because the value has gone down a little bit, and most of these home runs are solo shots. Uh, I think it makes the MLB a little bit. I mean, you saw it in the London series. I mean. Baseball is fun when there's more scoring. People, casual fans, people who really don't care about baseball, when they go watch baseball, they want to see scoring. They don't want to see dominant pitching performances like you know diehard baseball fans want to see. They don't care if a pitcher strikes out ten and does a you know eight inning game. They care if there was five to six home runs hit in the game they watch. So. It's good for baseball in one way, and then I just don't – I think it's good overall. So uh, Justin Verlander, he's a notorious complainer. Verlander's always complaining about something. When he's with the Tigers, he was always complaining about how the Indians were stealing signs, all this crap. So I really try not to listen to what Justin Verlander's saying um, because, honestly, most of it is just hot air. So – but we're gonna do what we're gonna do now is something we do usually at the All Star break. Well, we did it last year. We're gonna go through our full predictions. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna go through the AL and the NL, give my playoff predictions for each and every single uh, division and the wild card, and then I'm gonna do my World Series prediction, my MVP prediction, and my Cy Young prediction, and then a couple bowl predictions at the end. Um, so let's just get into it. We'll start with the AL. I think the Yankees win that division. The Yankees are getting healthier. They're getting better each and every single day. Uh, they have a ton of young talent. This team is really, really good. And I think they're going to win the AL East. I think they're one of the best teams in the league. And as they get healthier, their team will just get better. I mean, even with all these injuries that they've been you know, dealing with and facing, they've consistently filled those injured spots with 
good solid players. I mean, Giovanni Rochelle came out of nowhere. Cameron Maben has been a you know a big piece for them. Luke Voigt has come out of nowhere and has been a solid first baseman. They've replaced all these injuries and stuff like that with good solid players and young players too. And their pitching is still consistently good and their bullpen is still good. So I think they'll win that division. They'll still I think they'll ride with it the entire season. I think they'll still hold it and they'll be able to lock it up maybe early September, late August. AL Central. I'm going to be biased here. I still think the Indians win the AL Central. They are about five and a half games back right now. Their record is pretty consistent with what their record has been at the end of the All Star, at the beginning of the All Star break um, for the last couple of years. They're right where they were at the last couple of years. The Indians are usually a second half team. I think they're going to be making some all some trade deadline moves uh, to get you know maybe another bat or whatever, but to get to the playoffs, you need solid pitching and a solid bull, st- solid starting pitching, and a solid bullpen and one or two solid bats. And they have that. They have, I think, in my opinion, the best starting pitching in the league. Even with the rookies and the injuries, they've had amazing starting pitching. Their bullpen has been one of the most consistent bullpens in the league, which is crazy. Because last year they were terrible. But they brought Brad Hand in. Adam Simber has been solid. Oliver Perez has came out of nowhere. Nick Whitgren has been really solid for them. And it just seems like there's not huge names like there's been in the past. Like in the past, the Indians' bullpen was built around like three, four guys. You know, Cody Allen, Brian Shaw, Andrew Miller a couple years ago. And it was just pretty much the same three, four guys being trotted out there every single time they had a lead past the seventh. And now you can pretty much trust any name being toted out there. I trust almost all of these guys. And then you throw in, you know, Lindor has been a star this season. Carlos Santana's an all-star. Um, you know, Jose Ramirez is slowly starting to come around. I don't think we've seen him yet. And then overall, I think the Twins are going to start to fall. They, The way they score runs and the way their pitching has been is way too much for me. It's way inflated, in my opinion. I don't think they'll be able to keep this up for the rest of the season. And you're starting to see them come down a little bit to earth. Their pitching is not this good. Um, it's been amazing. It, they won't keep that up for the rest of the season. As much as it, it, you may think it's a pipe dream, but the Twins just are going to come down to earth, I think. And the Indians are going to come up, and the Indians are a second-half team, and they're going to get better. So I think the Indians are going to win that division. AL West, I think it's the Astros. They're ahead by like 10 games. I don't think that changes. I think I have a bold prediction of, of who they're going to get at the deadline. That's I think is going to make them even better. My two wild card teams. I'm going with the Athletics. I think the Athletics host a wild card game versus the Rays. Athletics are getting their pitching back in the second half. Sean Maniah, who was amazing before he got hurt, he'll be back. AJ Puck will be back. They have the pitching now. They also have some solid bats. You know, like I said, Chris Davis, Matt Chapman, all of these guys are solid. I think they have a solid bullpen as well. I think they're going to end up winning uh, a wild card seed and hosting the game versus the Rays, who the Rays are sort of in the same boat with the Indians. You know, they're a small market team who manages their way manages their team very well, and I think they'll end up getting a wild card seed there. I mean, obviously Austin Meadows has came out of nowhere, been a really good player for them. Uh, Tommy Pham has been good. They have the pitching uh, with Glasnow and all of these guys. Blake Snell's still there. 
So I think the Rays win this win a wild card seed, which means the the Red Sox, former World Series champions, will miss the playoffs, which I fully expect. I mean, they've had a pretty down season so far. Then we'll go to the NL. I think the Braves win the NL East. We gotta go a little bit quicker through this so we can get to everything. I think the Braves win the NL East. I trust them. They have the pitching. They need a little bit more bullpen help. We'll get to the bull predictions and I'll tell you where that comes from. The NL Central. Titus uh division in baseball right now the reds are in last place only by three and a half games i think the reds win this division i'm sticking with my bold prediction i think the reds finally have the pitching it's slowly coming around they have some solid bats in their lineup some solid young bats as well and i think they continue this they've been pretty good over the last couple of games uh, before the all-star break and i think they continue to heat up and not only do the reds heat up i think that the whole division is just going to beat the crap out of each other and before we know it, I mean, I saw a bold prediction where the team that wins the NL Central is not even going to win over uh, 85 games. So that's where we're at with that. Um, then the NL West, the Dodgers. Dodgers, I think, are the best team in the NL right now. I think the Dodgers have the best pitching, best hitting, best young hitting, best bullpen. Dodgers win that division. Then the wild card. I think it's going to be Cubs and Brewers. Uh, Cubs are still solid. They're still a good team. And the Brewers... If they get some pitching, which I think they will, this team could be very good. I mean, they've had down years from a couple of their big you know, guys last year. But if they just get some starting pitching that can give them a solid five to six innings and they can get to that bullpen, it's over. But still, I think the wild card will be very close. Because, I mean, the Phillies, the Cardinals, and the Nationals are all going to be vying for a wild card seed. So it's, the NL is going to be very, very fun to watch, um, especially the NL Central. As World Series goes, though... I think it's going to be the Indians and Dodgers. That's full biased. I'll admit that. I mean, I still think the Indians, they have the, some of the most experience. They have, I think, the best rotation. And Terry Francona can manage a team in the playoffs. So I think the Indians, the way the Indians are feeling to me now, they feel like the 2016 team. You know, under the radar the entire time. But then once they just sneak into the playoffs, they just explode and they play really well. So I think the Indians could possibly... Sneak into the World Series. And then I think the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the league, in my opinion. I think they're the deepest team. Um, so I'm going with the Dodgers. And I think the Indians beat them because that's just full bias. That is my predictions, though, for the rest of the season. As far as MVP goes, for the AL, I think it's Mike Trout. Um, I think if Mike Trout puts together a healthy season like he's been, barring any injuries and he stays consistent, Trout will win this MVP because that's pretty much guaranteed. As the NL goes, that's going to be a lot of fun because I think it's going to be Cody Bellinger, but one of his best friends, Christian Yelich, I mean, that's he's going to push him hard for it. And I believe one of these two guys could possibly even win the Triple Crown, which hasn't been done in the NL in a long time. Uh, so you could it, it's a toss-up, but I'm just going to give it to Cody Bellinger because uh, Yelich's back scares me a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I think Cody Bellinger possibly just because of bias. Cy Young, though, is going to be pretty – no surprises there for me. Um, I think Cy Young in the AL is going to be Verlander. He's going to keep it up. And the NL, Scherzer, both of those two guys are veteran guys who have won multiple Cy Youngs, and I think they keep it up. My bold predictions, though, uh, I have three. They're not too bold. I mean, nothing too crazy other than the fact there are three deadline moves that I think are going to happen. I think – I think the Mets will stick with Syndergaard. I don't think they'll trade him. But I think the Brewers will get Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner can pitch in the playoffs 
almost better than anybody in the league. He still has a solid amount of weight behind his name. He's still a very good pitcher, and I think the Brewers could use him, and I think they can get him for cheap, and I think the Giants are going to want to get rid of him. As far as the Indians go, I think the Indians are going to trade Brad Hand. They're going to trade him maybe to the Braves because uh, they need bullpen help. And I think we're going to see one of these bullpen guys merge into that closer role and roll with it. I mean, Danny Salazar starting in Akron tonight, double A. I think he could possibly see him play a huge role with the Indians. If he plays well enough, possibly even move to the closer role. Because Salazar, two years ago, was an all-star. So I don't. I think with him fully healthy, I think people are going to sleep on the Indians a lot. And I think getting rid of Brad Hand is a good idea right now because we could get some good young at-bats. I think the Braves will trade for Shane Green as well from the Tigers, the AL closing leader right now, the save leader, um, Shane Green. I think that would make a lot of sense for them. And I think the Astros trade for Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is not going to be a part of that young White Sox team. He's a little older. He doesn't fit the mold of that young White Sox team. And the Astros are perfect everywhere except first base. Their two, their two first basemen are batting a combined 250. They need Jose Abreu. He would be perfect for them. And they can get him for a couple prospects, which I think would work out well for the Astros. But that's it for that. That's all I wanted to say with baseball. Um, go through it. Full predictions. The second half is going to be a blast, guys. The division races heat up very, very quickly, and it just becomes a lot of fun. Uh, so make sure you watch that, guys. I know baseball gets a little old towards the end of July, early August. Um, but it's going to heat up, especially the deadline. The trade deadline for baseball is the best trade deadline in all of sports. I mean, it, nothing touches it. Guys are moved over and over again. You don't know where. There's going to be a surprise move, and it's going to make a lot of decent teams a lot better with some of these trade deadline moves. So make sure you watch that. But right now we're going to move to some basketball transition to that. I know we let off the show with it. Um, but that was just me getting some stuff off my mind. But we're going to move now to basketball, do a complete overview with that. But before that, I had to remind you guys about my guy, Dom, at D's Home Cuts. D's Home Cuts is the best place around Northeast Ohio for a great haircut at a low price. For only $10, D's Home Cuts will provide you with a modern haircut and styling. Cheapest, best haircut you'll find around, guys. Trust me, I get my haircut there. Truman gets his haircut there. 90% of the guests we've had get their haircut there. There's no better place. Dom personally treats your hair like his own. He makes you look amazing. Even if you don't know what you want or what you think you'll look good as, Dom will give you suggestions and make sure you look great. He'll style it for you. He'll show you what products to buy. He'll make sure you look your best and look your best consistently. And you save a lot of money in the meantime. Plus, you can go to Great Clips and your haircut, I promise you, your haircut's not going to be as good. And plus, half of that money you spend is going to go, even more than half, three-fourths is going to go to the corporate. And, you know, the pe person that actually cuts your hair is not going to get that much. And you have to tip, you know, an extra $10. So you end up walking out of there spending $30 to $35 and even more with some of the more expensive places. And honestly, you don't get as good of a cut when you go to Dom's. You pay your $10. All $10 goes to Dom and his pockets. He helps support you know, a college kid who's just grinding away, growing this business each and every single day like we are on this podcast. 
support the young you know entrepreneurs like Dom and trust me you will not be disappointed go to his Instagram at these home cuts send him a DM check out some of his videos and you know see what kind of cuts he does because trust me they look great um, yeah send him a DM trust me you won't be disappointed uh, he'll set up an appointment directly for you you'll go there you'll kick your feet up you'll relax and you'll get a haircut and you'll look even better going coming out as you did going in these home cuts professional haircuts at a low price all right let's shift from the basketball baseball talk to a little bit more basketball talk right now um we had a couple things we wanted to get into then we'll do our top five duos list Kawhi Leonard, first of all, I reported on Tuesday that he signed a four-year deal, $140 million. Uh, they actually changed that, restructured it to a three-year deal, $101 million, so he can match up with Paul George's contract, which is also three years. Kawhi also has a player option, I believe, in his last year. Um, but as of right now, if he plays the rest of that contract out, him and Paul George, in 2021, Paul George and Kawhi will both be unrestricted free agents, as well as LeBron and a host of other names. So the 2021 free agent class is absolutely stacked. Um, I'm not sure, you know, barring any injuries or stuff like that, it will be stacked. You know, obviously something could happen. But uh, last thing with NBA, I want to talk about Sean Livingston. He got cut by the Warriors. Three-time finals winner. Huge piece for them off the bench. Wasn't great this year. Wasn't as good as he once was with them, um, but he's still, I mean, he has he's a finals winner, three-time finals winner, um, a huge piece for them in all of those finals wins off the bench. Uh, he should be picked up pretty quickly, I think. Um, and last thing, Kelly Oubre was signed back to the Suns. He was traded from the Wizards last year, but he had a great year with the Suns, a quiet great year. He was averaging almost 17 points per game um, in the starting role for them, and now the Suns lock up a pretty good piece in Kelly Oubre. Um I don't really have the specific. Specific is like the one word I cannot say um, in my vocabulary. Specific, I I have a, I struggle with that word hard. But anyways, he is going back to the Suns. So with that though, that was sort of the uh, um, some stuff we had to get business stuff we had to get out of the way. Let's go back to our NBA duo list. So if you remember on Tuesday's show. We went through the duos in the NBA now that Kawhi and Paul George are in the Clippers. Um, and we, I just sort of named it off. No particular order, just named it off by how I wrote it down. But I wanted to switch that up. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I wanted to do top five NBA duos in the league right now. This is order. We're going to go five to one. Quick disclaimer though, I did not put the Nets on here or the Warriors. The reason with that is with the Nets... I think I think KD and Kyrie would easily be a top five duo. But one thing is, KD is still not back. He's gonna miss the entire year, so I'm not gonna put him on there yet until we get back. Maybe we'll revisit it next summer, or you know, maybe even down the road because we just don't know how they're gonna play with each other just yet. And if Kyrie has a complete shitty season, you know that might move them down the list. Because honestly, I don't trust players coming back off an Achilles injury. I think people uh, underestimate how deadly an Achilles injury is to an NBA player or any athlete in general. No player is ever the same after an Achilles tear. I've said that multiple times on the show. Boogie Cousins wasn't the same last year, um, and Kobe Bryant wasn't the same. I mean, you can just go down the line um, with that Achilles tear. Uh, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, he had one year. He got injured again. Uh, so you can't really – and he was with the Warriors, so he had a lot of 
people he had to throw the ball to. Um, maybe he'll have a little bit better of a year with Anthony Davis and LeBron, and you know maybe he'll be healthier. But we're not going to include the Nets. And with the Warriors, I'm not including their duo of D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry. Pure talent-wise, I think that easily is a top-five duo. And I think you could even put Klay Thompson there. Uh, Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. I saw you know, somebody else did this type of list, and they put that on there. Um, but Klay Thompson's out the whole year, so it's not a top-five duo, so you can't really include that. And I don't know what the Warriors plan on doing with D'Angelo Russell. If he's only there for half a year, um, then I really don't want to put that on a top-five duos list because that just doesn't work. So we're just going to do top-five healthy NBA duos that we will see on the court this season, barring any injuries, you know, surprise injuries. So first, number five, I'm going Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. People are going to be a little shocked at this because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are two of the best players in the NBA. But I put them at five because of Joel Embiid and his injury um, past. Big men with bad knees who are hurt a lot don't play long in the NBA. And Joel Embiid has not had a pretty good consistent run of healthy play. When he's healthy, he is one of the best players in the NBA. But the problem is he's really never fully healthy. Ben Simmons is a great point guard. Um, I think people underestimate him, which is crazy, but he is still a very, very good point guard. Obviously, he can't shoot the three, but he's still, you know, the way he plays, his playmaking ability, you can't beat it. And then when Joel Embiid's healthy, he is, you could make an argument, top five NBA player. But the problem is he's never really healthy. Um, so maybe if we get a consistently healthy season from Embiid this year, you can move him up, this duo up a little bit. Simmons is overall pretty healthy, so I think that, that's what made them onto the list. If they were both injury-prone players, they wouldn't be on this list. Number four, uh, Jokic from the Thunder and Jamal Murray from the Thunder, from the Nuggets. What am I talking about right now? Uh, that duo is surprising. I think they slowly came on last year, especially Murray. Jokic has been pretty good for the last couple of seasons. He's you know come out of nowhere almost. And then Murray was the same thing. Murray had a great year last year, and he signed 100 and. $40 million contract extension this year. That Those two are the two big pieces with the Nuggets right now. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., people forget about him. He's going to be back this year. So I really like the Nuggets. I mean, you got a good core right there with Murray and Jokic, but um, I think that's a great core to build around those two. Now, I know I'm saying Jokic, Jokic's name wrong. I say it wrong all the time. I always get people commenting in my DMs on our TNT uh, Twitter that I say his name wrong, but honestly, I don't care. I'm not really good at names, but you know who I'm talking about. Number three, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. I think these two are easily the best duo in the NBA. From a pure talent perspective, CJ and Damian Lillard, you know, aren't ranked this high on their own. But when they play together, they play so well together. I mean, they took it to the Western Conference Finals last year. This is easily, you can make the argument when with Clay, you know, hurt. CJ and Dame are the best backcourt in the NBA, and they play so well together. And that's just what the Clippers, the Clippers, why am I, I'm so lost right now. But that's just what the Trailblazers have built from. They built this team around CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And, you know, through that method, they got to the Western Conference Finals. So I'm confident enough to put them at number three. Number two, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Paul George one of the best defensive players, and he has a really good offensive game. And then Kawhi Leonard is obviously one of a t 
easily top two, top three NBA player in the game today. Paul George is top 10, top 15. So those two, I mean, you don't know what they're going to work together. You don't know how they're going to work together, but still, I mean, Kawhi makes anybody better around him. So I think those two are going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. And then number one, I'm going to go Anthony Davis and LeBron. That's just pure talent. I mean, LeBron's, you can make the argument, best player in the NBA with, with KD Hurt. Uh, and Anthony Davis, when healthy, is a top five player in the NBA. So those two, I'm not sure how they're going to work together, but I still think it's a great um, duo back-to-back, Anthony Davis and LeBron. Um, but with that, I want I don't, don't really have this on the outline, um, but I wanted to talk about this really quickly. Uh, it's, I'm not going to answer this question. I just want to bring it up. If Kawhi Leonard leads the Clippers to the finals, and let's say they win one to two finals over his career with the Clippers, is Kawhi Leonard on the same level as LeBron and Kevin Durant went healthy? I think you can make that argument. Kawhi Leonard, maybe he doesn't put up the stats. You know, defense, there's not much stats for defense and stuff like that as LeBron or Kevin Durant. But if he wins three finals on three different teams being the lead guy pretty much, maybe you can make an argument he wasn't the lead guy with the Spurs, but he did win finals MVP with them. You could make the argument that he is as good as LeBron James. Not better, but I think he's as good onto that level as LeBron and Kevin Durant went healthy. So that's something that was brought up yesterday on Coward, and uh, I wanted to, you know, bring that up. And we'll get somebody in here, a couple more NBA guys who maybe – you know, watch the game a little bit more than me, and they can, you know, talk about that as well. So that's where I'm going with that. Joel Embiid and Simmons at five, Jokic and Murray at four, CJ McCollum and Damian at three, Paul George and Kawhi at two, Anthony Davis and LeBron at one. We're going to move now to football, but I'm going to pause this really quickly. I'll be right back because my dog is barking right now and I got to shut him up. So I'll be right back with some football all right so i'm back now um like i said sorry about that I had to let my dog out because uh, he was barking up a storm you probably have heard it hopefully he stops barking through this football stuff i think i got him settled down a little bit um but let's talk some football guys first thing first lead story is melvin gordon uh reportedly that came out this morning he is not going to play another snap with the chargers unless he gets a new contract he's willing to hold out for camp willing to just not show up and we talked about this in my group chat this morning on Twitter. Why are running backs thinking they can just get paid all of a sudden? Le'Veon Bell is set a precedent that I think is going to hurt the NFL for the next couple of seasons where running backs are just getting way too confident in themselves, thinking they can hold a team hostage. And I don't think they're making the right decision. I don't think Michael, Melvin Gordon is making a good decision here because – you saw it last year with Philip Lindsley, an undrafted rookie free agent who was making under a million dollars last year, lead the league in rushing. Running backs are just simply not as star running backs are simply not as important or crucial to a team as they used to be. I mean, you look in the Super Bowl. Patriots have won multiple Super Bowls without having star running backs. Just a lot of good, decent running backs that they can switch in and out. You can find a running back anywhere you can find a decent running back anywhere having a star running back is just like frosting on a cake like you can eat a cake plain you're going to be satisfied a little bit of frosting is nice but you don't need it some people don't even want it and so that's where i my opinion on running backs is it's an overvalued position um to have a star at i think running back outside special teams that is like the least 
that is like the least important position to have a star at. If you're building a team and you say you can have you know five star players, none of those five guys are going to be running backs if you truly you know know how the NFL works nowadays. So Melvin Gordon, I'm not really sure where he's getting this confidence at. I, you know, I'm not sure what the Chargers are going to do. Um, if they get rid of him, I think the fans will be mad. But overall, I think that'd make more sense. I don't really think I want to pay big money to somebody like Melvin Gordon, but they probably will because you know, they're dumb. So that's my opinion on Melvin Gordon. Uh, supplemental draft was yesterday. You probably did not know um, what the supplemental draft is. It's a draft where, I mean, there's like five guys in it this year. College players who either, you know, were going back and forth if they were going to enter the real draft and decided not to. Um, but then later after the draft ended, they changed their mind. Or it's guys who maybe went back to college and something happened with the NCAA, like Jalen Thompson, I think, the guy who was picked yesterday, um, and they realized they want to go back. I mean, you saw it with Terrell Pryor was probably the most notable guy. Josh Gordon was notable. Um, but, yeah, so how it works is it just goes pick by pick, and teams will submit, you know, a pick on a guy like the Cardinals. They submitted a fifth-round pick yesterday for Jalen Thompson, um, the, the safety out of Washington State. And they won because nobody else was willing to give more than a fifth-round pick for Jalen Thompson. Because now the Cardinals don't have their fifth-round pick next year. They surrendered that. Um, so Jalen Thompson was the only guy out of five to be taken. The rest are now free agents. And I think one, a wide receiver from West Virginia, signed with the Jaguars already. So we'll see what happens with that. I want the Packers to get Jalen Thompson, but um, they did not think he was as valuable or more valuable than a fifth-round pick. So there's that. And then we got offseason reviews. Going to go through the Vikings quickly so we can get to the Packers. Um, Vikings went 8-7-1 last year, tied with the Packers. Had a kind of a weird offseason. They didn't really sign anybody. I mean, they signed Anthony Barr back from the Jets. They almost lost him, which would have been huge. And they signed Kyle Rudolph to a huge extension. They also lost Sheldon Richardson. And they lost Mike Remmers, their guard, starting guard for the last couple of years. But most people think that really wasn't a loss because he wasn't healthy, wasn't good when he was healthy. So... Their draft, though, they had, I think they killed it with their first two picks. They took Garrett Bradbury from NC State, and they took Irv Smith from Alabama, who most people thought is the third best tight end and would have been a first round pick, but he actually got taken in the second round by the Vikings. Vikings are a strange team. Their cap situation is pretty bad right now, and I think over the offseason it got even worse. I mean, they signed Kyle Rudolph, an old veteran tight end, when they drafted you know, a pretty good young guy with Irv Smith. They signed Kyle Rudolph to a huge extension. They signed Anthony Barr to a huge extension. And they're running out of money right now. But they did have a decent draft. They were able to get Bradbury and Smith, which I think both of those players are going to be instant impact players. But honestly, I don't trust this defense. I don't think this defense is as good as people think. And I don't think the offense is as good as people think because Kirk Cousins is not worth the money he's being paid, and he's just simply not good enough to lead this team. So they went 8-7-1 last year. I think they're even worse, and I think they go 6-10. and And that's probably biased, but I really don't care because I just don't trust Kirk Cousins, and I think most people would agree with me on that. Let's move to the Packers now. We're going to redo the Packers once Sherman gets back more consistently, and we'll do a season you know, prediction and go game by game. Um, but the Packers, they went 6-9-1 and last year. And they completely changed from the last 20 years of their franchise. Packers of the old days were, you know, 
work to build your team through the draft. Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, Dom Capers. Build your team through the draft. Same offense, same everything, and just continue to shape your roster through the draft. Now that works, and that's the best way to do it if you have good drafts. And the Packers just simply have not hit on drafts in the past. So they started to clean house last year. They got rid of Ted Thompson, hired Brian Gutenkeist. I'm sorry about my dog, guys. I'm just, I'll am i be right back. I'm going to get him to shut up, and then I'll get back to the Packers. All right, I think I shut him up for good now. He's got a bone. He's chilling with me in the room, no longer in his cage. So sorry about that. But where we're at here with the Packers, they got rid of Ted Thompson. They hired Brian Gutenkeist, which was a huge move. They got rid of Dom Capers, and they hired uh, Mike Pettin, which was a completely different move. Good, solid defense coordinator, Mike Pettin. Last season, they went undergo they underwent more changes. They got rid of Mike McCarthy midseason, which was a complete shock after the Arizona Cardinals game, which I was at. Complete and utter shock from the fan base because Packers old, of the old days wouldn't have fired a coach midseason, but they did it, and it was a shock. And I think it was time to go. I love McCarthy. Um, I'm glad he was our head coach for as many years as he was. But over the time, his offensive scheme, the way he coached, it got stale. And it put a sort of level of complacency into the Packers organization. And nobody was really pushing anymore. Everybody was just kind of going with the flow. And that's not how you do things in Green Bay. That's not how you win championships. Um, so the, like it, it seemed like over the years they were just sort of happy with getting into the playoffs and winning the NFC North. You know, after the Super Bowl, it seemed like everybody was just sort of coasting off of that. And, you know, that's not how you do it. But they switched it up, and they hired Matt LaFleur, which was one of the biggest moves over the offseason. Uh, a lot of people were hating on that signing. But, honestly, wherever he's been, wherever he's gone, he has made his quarterbacks better. And I think that's huge for Aaron Rodgers. I think that's going to be huge for him. Um, they also hired Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator from the Jaguars and the Bills. They hired him as our offensive coordinator. LaFleur is going to call plays, obviously, but Hackett is a pretty good offensive-minded coach. He made the Jaguars' offense you know, pretty decent with Blake Bortles. He has not worked with a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, so I think that's going to help him. Um, but two good, young, offensive-minded head coach coaching is going to be huge for them. And you let Mike Pettin take control of that defense still year two of his defensive scheme. And you saw last year... Um, I know a lot of you weren't watching the Packers. Their defense was actually a lot better, and there was a ton of times where his scheme worked really well for them. If they would have had Dom Capers, the Packers would have been a lot worse than 6-9 and nine and 1, obviously. Um, but then you go to the offseason, and you know they lost Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews, two franchise cornerstones for the last couple of years. But again, the Packers went under, underwent an offseason of refreshment. They were refreshing and completely cleaning out that locker room of old, stale guys who were a little complacent. I mean, Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews were great players for us, but due to injuries and just like all of this crap, it was time to let them go. And I think that set a shockwave through the Packers organization and locker room that even if you are, you know, a huge piece of your franchise the last couple of years, you know, your fan favorite like Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews, if you aren't performing, you're not going to get re-signed and you're going to be let go. And I think that sent a huge shockwave through the Packers organization. And even last year you saw it. Um, I can't remember his game. Jermaine Whitehead. Uh, he's with the Browns now. He was a safety for the Packers. He had a pretty decent game uh, the week before. And then the Patriots game, he had a blatant um, uh, unnecessary roughness penalty. He punched a Patriots player in the face. Next day he was gone. They got rid of him. 
And you've seen this sort of culture change going on in the Packers locker room, which hasn't been happening in the last couple of years. And in the offseason, even in their financial thing, we're having in their financial offices and uh, the GM office, we're also going under another change. They are spending money. They spent the second most amount of money, and they brought in young, versatile players who can be huge for them. They brought in Adrian Amos, who's a Swiss Army knife. They brought in Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, who are both very, very good young pass rushers who will get even better with more consistent play and with you know schemes like Mike Pettin can draw up for them. They also brought in Billy Turner, who can play guard, center, and tackle and can play it decently well because the Packers also have had a lot of injuries on their offensive line, and I'm tired of seeing a lot of undrafted free agents get consistent playing time on like primetime games because of injuries, and now Billy Turner is going to fill that void. He can play anywhere. Um, and then the draft, they did another thing. They did something they usually don't do, and they traded up, and they traded back, and they did all this weird stuff, and they acquired more picks, and they were able to draft with Sean Gary in the first round, who, if fit in the right system, it was a risky pick, but if he's put in the right system, and he, you know, they get the most out of him, he his athletic ability is scary good, and you don't see it with his size, the way he runs and his speed, so I really like that pickup. Darnell Savage is a very, 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 very good center field type of safety that's going to come up, it's going to hit you in the mouth, and it's going to make plays. So their entire defense is switched around now. They also took Elton Jenkins and Jay Sternberger. Jay Sternberger could, is a really good pass-catching tight end, and I think he's going to push Jimmy Graham. they got Elton Jenkins, who's going to help out um, on the offensive line. So the Packers, as much as people want to hate on them, all these articles want to be released on them, they are a very good team. They're completely refreshed. And yeah, it might come down all crashing and burning on them. might not work. But what you have now is a clean locker room with a lot of good, high-character guys. You have a leader with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and on the defense, you have a couple of leaders. You know, Mike Daniels, uh, Kenny Clark, you know, all of these people. And you have a lot of young talent as well. This team is good. This team is clean. This team is refreshed. And I think they're going to be amazing this year i'm going 16 and 0 because i don't predict the packers to lose any games because that's my team um and i think they'll be the best team in the league this year so 16 and 0 packers uh jair wins defensive mvp um aaron Rodgers wins mvp and rashawn gary wins rookie of the year so that's where i'm going with the packers high hopes for the green bay packers um but that's it for our show today I want to thank you to our sponsor, D's Home Cuts. As always, go into iTunes and Spotify. Give us a listen. Send us also. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Write us a review and give us five stars so people will listen more and more. Um, other than that, though, check us out on Twitter at TNT Sports Talk 1-2. Send us questions, comments, concerns in our DMs. We will always answer right away. We'll give you a follow back if you throw us a follow. And if you want to be a guest... Send us a DM, we'll schedule time, we'll get you in here, and you can give your sports take. But other than that, though, have a great day. Tune in on Tuesday where we will also break down more offseason reviews and everything else going on in the world of sports. So thank you, and have a great day, guys. Thanks.